This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenevec. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Bloomberg Radio. Or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News. Bear with us for a moment, everyone, because there is a ton of headlines when it comes to COVID and the variants and the vaccine. Among them, we've got Japan declaring a new state of emergency over growing coronavirus cases, which will run throughout the Olympics. A local newspaper reporting fans are expected to be excluded from all events in Tokyo and the surrounding areas. Tim, we've got Africa having its worst week of the pandemic. Number of weekly cases rising 20% as the Delta variant spreads across the continent. The situation expected to worsen, according to the World Health Organization. And we've got that big blockbuster number, the pandemic's global death toll surpassing 4 million. Yeah, and even here closer to home, Carol, New York City will reduce classroom sizes, also embark on curriculum changes when the U.S.'s largest public school system reopens fully in person in September. The U.S. also not ready to lift restrictions on international passengers and will take a conditions-based approach to any relaxing of, of rules. That's according to Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. And we see lots of warnings over in France against vacation their citizens vacationing in Spain and Portugal. Forgive us for indulging uh, us because there are so many headlines and we really want to get our next guest thoughts on all of it. Dr. Vino Pali is founder and CEO of My Doctor Urgent Care, also the chief COVID vaccine officer at My Doctor. He joins us on the phone in New York City. Uh, Dr. Vino Pali, I should say thank you for indulging us because it feels like once again we are inundated by headlines concerning uh, COVID, the variant in particular, and it does feel like all of a sudden things were moving along in a good fashion, a positive fashion, and all of a sudden it feels like we're slowing down again. Hi. Hi, Carolyn. Tim, it's great to be with you guys. Yeah. Yes, of course. Delta variant is uh, definitely concerning. It's already in 104 countries, as you mentioned. Uh, it's highly transmissible and multiplying at a very fast pace. It's the fastest, fittest, and somewhat worrisome variant. And with all these reopenings that are going on everywhere in most countries and in the U.S., it's definitely a worrisome variant. Should it be worrisome to people who've been vaccinated? So the question is, uh, folks that are already vaccinated, are they getting these infections? I think there's one uh, news that came out of Israel that uh, even if you're vaccinated, you can still get uh, COVID infection. So with Delta variant, what that means is we already know this news that even if you're vaccinated, there will be breakthrough infection. But the good news about the vaccines is that it decreases hospitalizations, severe complications and death. And the Israel news actually tells us that it is 93% effective. The vaccines are effective in decreasing serious complications in that. And those are the outcomes we want. So if you're vaccinated, even with the Delta variant, which is more contagious, spreads much more quickly, and is more virulent, if you will, um, you're protected, is what you're saying, correct? You are. So all the three vaccines that we have in the United States will protect you against Delta variant. And, and the recent study that came out here a couple of weeks ago showed that most hospitalizations, 
severe complications and deaths have occurred in patients who are not vaccinated. So, yes, it is going to protect you against Delta variant if you're vaccinated. Okay, but if you're not vaccinated in the United States, and if we start to have pockets around the country where we see cases rise, how could that be more problematic to the wider population? So, so remember, uh, 1,000 counties in the U.S. are vaccinated less than 30%, and we have very uh, densely populated areas where vaccination rates are low, southeast, midwest, uh, you know, Mississippi, Alabama, you name it. You know, we can go down the list, but including New York City in the Bronx and Brooklyn, we have pockets where folks are not vaccinated. So when you are unvaccinated people, the virus multiplies at a rapid uh, uh, pace and spreads. So that's a concern. Uh, vaccination rates are really critical uh, uh, to look at. What's the best way to get people who, I mean, it's hard to even really even I don't know the answer to this. The best way to get people who were hesitant before, if, if, if this doesn't get them to get vaccinated, what does? So, so Tim, I think uh, it's really important to understand we have 38% of African-American folks who are not vaccinated, who are only vaccinated. The majority of African-Americans, Hispanics, Native Americans who are not vaccinated. How do we convince them? There has been a lot of misinformation uh, so we have to combat that. I think the key thing is to be communication, one-on-one uh, -on -one basis, listening, and counter any misinformation, uh, have conversations, and give them facts. I think the message is loud and clear. If you're unvaccinated, you are at risk not only for infection, but getting serious complications, hospitalizations, going into respiratory failure, going on a ventilator, and even death. So the message is very loud and clear. And we as healthcare workers, media, political leaders, community members, family, and friends, you all have to come together to kind of convince and communicate with the folks who are not vaccinated. So those who don't get vaccinated and we're not getting to herd immunity, does that potentially create a, a possibility or a scenario, uh, Dr. Polly, where the variant or the or the virus can continue to mutate and become even more potent because there are hosts out there that are available because not everybody's vaccinated and because we don't have herd immunity and that that could ultimately create a variant that the three vaccines that we have here in the United States will not be effective against. And I think you hit the nail. That's exactly right. So the more number of people are unvaccinated, it's going to create a Petri dish environment for all these uh, variants, and especially Delta variant. And I want to point out, and not to alarm your audience, there is another variant called Delta Plus variant, which is uh, seen uh, in different countries. I think we have about 80 cases in the U.S., uh, which is additional mutation. Um, and that, that itself is not looking that uh, good. Uh, so, yes, the virus can go in two directions. If you have a lot of un unvaccinated people, it's going, to, it's going to continue to mutate, become, become more stronger, more contagious, and may even evade immunity offered by these vaccines. So it's, it's really on our, it's really critical that we get as many people vaccinated as possible right now. What message do you have or what do we know for people who 
are vaccinated but have kids under the age of 12 who can't get vaccinated and are, are concerned about what's happening right now because uh, look if the delta variant is indeed spreading as scientists say it is then uh, those unvaccinated populations that are not even eligible could get it right so so that that definitely is of concern we're still waiting on some scientific data we're waiting on cdc guidelines for children uh, 12 and below right now there's several studies that have enrolled uh, these kids in vaccination programs. We're waiting for the final results. Hopefully we'll get that soon. And maybe we could even vaccinate children younger than 12 pretty soon. We're, we're waiting on a guideline. Meanwhile, take all the precautions that you can, especially if you're visiting grandparents of kids who are not vaccinated. They're 12 and below and they're visiting grandparents. Uh, you know, wear a mask. You know, have the grandparents wear a mask. Use some precautions for uh, public health measures that we have put in place. But only if those grandparents aren't vaccinated, right? Yes. If the grandparents are not vaccinated, you have to have them wear a mask. Yeah. yeah. But if they're vaccinated, it should be fine. They should be fine. Um, you know, just be careful. There are also other groups, uh, immunosuppressed individuals, people who are on uh, immunosuppressant medications. I think we need to protect these vulnerable uh, populations. Right, if you're more vulnerable. Hey, um, just to wrap up here, there are headlines out there about, you know, France warning its citizens against vacationing in Spain and Portugal uh, because of the spread of the Delta variant. You've got the U.S. not yet ready to lift restrictions on international passengers. That, according to uh, U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, do you think it's right to continue these types of restrictions? And what's your advice to people who are like, I am dying to get on a plane, dying to go to Venice? So, so the, I think the two most important things that I would recommend is first get vaccinated if you're going to get on a plane to protect yourself and protect others from Delta variant. Second thing, get tested. You know, if you get tested and if you're positive, you should not be traveling. You should not go to Venice or France or any other country and stay back and follow public health measures until you get better or, you know, give, give yourself the quarantine period if you're positive. So getting tested, getting vaccinated are going to be very critical dur during the summer for travel. Would you also stay away, just quickly, 20 seconds, stay away from states within the United States where there aren't high vaccination rates? Just quickly. Uh, you, you, I mean, I would avoid, but uh, okay. you, know, you have to go. Um, make sure you're vaccinated. All right. Listen, we covered so much ground. Thank you so much. Stay safe. Dr. Vino Pali, founder and CEO of uh, My Doctor Urgent Care, on the phone in New York City. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes' Tim Stenovic. From Bloomberg Radio. So, not sure if you knew this. I did not think about this, Tim. This is why I love this story. When COVID-19 struck, thousands of federal prisoners were released to home confinement, and now they're in limbo, fearing that the government will soon order them to go back. So let's get to it. This story reported for Bloomberg Business Week. Bloomberg News legal reporter David Yaffe Bellany. He's on the phone in Washington, D.C., along with Bloomberg Business Week editor Joel Weber. He's right next to us in our interactive broker studio in New York City. You know, I remember some headlines, yeah. Joel, but I kind of forgot about the prisoners who were let out. Prisoners who got to go home, and uh, as we've been reminded by David's uh, reporting here, may not get to stay home forever, right? And part of that reason is... How uh, the CARES Act fits into it. So, David, just drop us into your reporting. What, what did you learn in the course of working on this story? 
the spring of, of 2020, in the early days of the pandemic, it included a provision that allowed the Bureau of Prisoners to release to home confinement a much wider swath of the prison population than would normally have been eligible. Um, so, you know, the Bureau of Prisons has, has released people to home confinement before, but usually only for the last six months or so of their sentences. Under this program, you know, prisoners who had, you know, as much as half of their sentence remaining could, could go home. And so, you know, thousands of prisoners were, were sent home as a, as a result of that. They've sort of started rebuilding their lives, reintegrating into, into society, you know, getting to know children who they haven't seen properly for years. Um, but that all could, could come to an end once the, once the pandemic is over and the Bureau of Prisons' authority to do this expires. So it all hinges on the government declaring the pandemic being over, which might be wishful thinking at the moment, um, just if, if you hear, hear about the Delta vi- variant and <laughs> Delta Plus, as, if you're listening to the program, right? Like all, yeah. all of that stuff is a variable, but what happens once that switch gets flipped and the pandemic is quote unquote over? Yeah, so it's sort of a, a tragic irony that we've all been, you know, waiting desperately for the pandemic to be over. But there are these prisoners, you know, who are actually dreading that that moment. Um, and what what exactly will happen is not totally clear. Um, in the kind of waning days of the Trump administration, the Justice Department issued a legal memo, which basically outlined its interpretation of this provision of the Care Act of the CARES Act, and said, you know, once the pandemic is over, the the BOP is going to lose this expanded authority to put put prisoners on home confinement. Now, you know, it seems unlikely that the Biden administration will rescind the legal memo. Um, When you talk to to legal experts, they point out that, you know, this is actually a pretty solid bit of legal analysis that actually, if you look very closely at the way the CARES Act is written, it does seem to suggest that the Bureau of Prisons only has this authority for the duration of the emergency period of the pandemic. so that memo is probably not going away, despite the efforts of prisoner advocacy groups. But there are other things the Biden administration could do. I mean, it could um, it could grant clemency to the, the thousands of prisoners who've kind of followed all the rules and been at home for the last year, um, which would allow them to avoid returning to prison. Or, you know, Congress could pass new legislation making it clear that, you know, this this authority that the BOP was given temporarily applies permanently, or at least applies permanently in the cases of, of, of these prisoners who were, who were sent home. How exactly that will play out is not totally clear. The, the Biden administration is keeping its cards pretty close to its chest. They'll say things like, oh, this is a question for when the pandemic is over, which for prisoners who are kind of waiting in limbo is not a very satisfying answer. David, this is an incredibly powerful story, and I think the, the reason why is because it tells the story of numbers through individuals. And you include a, a handful of these thousands of prisoners who have been released, their stories. Tell us about somebody like Brian Carr. Sure. So so Brian Carr, I think, you know, fits the profile of a, of a lot of people in this situation. Um, he was uh, sent to prison on, on, on drug charges a few years ago. Um, he's more than halfway through his sentence, and um, was being held at the prison camp in Fairton, New Jersey. Um, and he was sent home to Baltimore. He sort of started trying to rebuild his life. He's, he's planning to enroll in, in a technical school. Um, eventually, he wants to start a company that would transport cars from dealerships across the country. He has young children um, who he has you know, gotten to know better since he's been out of prison. He's um, living with his family in Baltimore. He's followed all the rules, but now he's kind of in the state of limbo where he doesn't know what will happen. And I mean, he said something to me that was really powerful, that he felt like never in his life until he got this chance at early release had he felt like he'd won anything. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then suddenly got this opportunity and now it feels like it's going to be taken away from him. I feel like there's a lesson here for everyone who has read tons of research and articles on recidivism and people going back on what really keeps people out of prison. And I feel like just such as the pandemic has been a real life experiment for us, David, so too is maybe these prisoners coming out and really finding a way to maybe write their lives. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, we've got about 4,400 inmates who are on home confinement under this you know, provision of the CARES Act. Um, and, you know, only, you know, throughout the pandemic, only 120 prisoners have been sent back for either committing a new crime or violating one of the rules of home confinement. There are very strict rules. You have to wear an ankle monitor. You have to check in with prison officials several times a day. You're obviously confined to your home for the most part. Um, so, so, yeah, in, in many ways, been a kind of unlikely, you know, test case for a potential solution to mass incarceration. And it's worked really well. And I think most people agree on that. And, you know, when you talk to advocates, they're really frustrated that rather than talking about expanding this home confinement provision to make it permanent and giving more prisoners these opportunities, they have to desperately fight to, um, you know, ensure the freedom of of people who've, who've been out and have followed all the rules over the last year. David, just just based on your reporting and and other stories that that you worked on, like the Bureau Bureau of Prisons, obviously a really interesting um, uh, place and one that gets grilled a lot. And just wondering, like, what what other kind of uh, uh, changes could you see coming coming from this time there? Um, I think I think that um, that the you know not not only not only you know has the Bureau of Prisons sort of seen that kind of kind of expanding the you know sort of opening opening the possibility of of home confinement to people who are not as far along in their sentences you know not not only have they seen that 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 works but they've also created like a whole new set of of criteria i mean some more associated with you know health risks because of covid but other criteria about good behavior so they've sort of found kind of a new system for kind of tracking the way you know prisoners have have responded to their their punishment that you know, is, is, a, is a potential, you know, set of guidelines for the future that could allow the Bureau of Prisons to kind of determine, you know, which, which prisoners might be eligible, who's most likely to, you know, benefit from home confinement and follow all the rules. And, you know, that, that system is, is, in, is in place and, you know, could in theory be kind of expanded and, and applied to an even wider swath of the population than, than we've already seen released to home confinement during COVID. And so that's a potentially you know, promising set of circumstances for the future. Um, yeah. But it's also, all that discussion is kind of on hold for now. I just think about crisis, out of crisis comes innovation, right, and disruption and yeah. ways of doing it better. And we know the prison system has certainly lagged in terms of figuring out a better way. Uh, great stuff, as always. David Yaffe Bellany, legal reporter at Bloomberg News. Joel Weber, editor of Bloomberg Business Week. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes' Tim Stenovic. From Bloomberg Radio. We've got a few stories for our food crowd. One is about Beyond Meat offering up chicken tendies. There we go. I'm so glad you said tendies. (laughs) I'm learning. I'm learning. Old dog, new tricks. And another on Subway grasping for a lifeline. Let's get to it with Bloomberg News consumer reporter Dina Shankar. She is on the phone in New York City. Can we talk about Beyond Meat and what they're up to? Of course. All right. Always happy to talk about Beyond Meat. We are too. (laughs) Tell us what they're up to. So they are announcing today that they're rolling out a new chicken tender product uh, at restaurants. It's hitting just under 400 restaurants, which is a bit of a smaller rollout than we've gotten used to with Beyond Meat. Um, These uh, chicken tenders are 
Honestly, they're more like a big nugget because they're a ground product instead of a whole muscle product, which is what we've come to expect from, you know, a Wait, wait, tender. wait. Okay, hold on. Take it. Hold on. Take, let's pause there. We're dying. Yeah. Tell us more. For, well, we should note they're made of fava beans, right? Not whole muscles. That's right. Okay. That, well, so they're fava, they're, uh, the main ingredient in these is fava beans. Is that like Silence of the Lambs, beans. fava beans? That's all I can think. It's a, it's a great line from <laughs> a movie. the first person to say I that. Know, right? It's like a great line in that movie. Okay, anyway, go ahead. Continue. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so that's fine. So fava beans are, are a change for Beyond Meat that usually uh, uh, uses pea protein as its primary ingredient. And these also have pea protein. Actually, it's in the breading for the tenders. Um, but they're... Uh, made from a base of, of fava beans. Um, and they are, a, it's called a chop and, and mold, um, which is another way of just saying like, a, a, whoa, sorry, there's a, a thunderstorm happening. Okay. Okay. <laughs> sorry. Was beyond anyway, meat or, so, or the fava bean, bean police coming <laughs> at your door or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> sorry. Um, so it was a, so it's a ground product, which is sort of more similar to like the, a, a burger, essentially, because um, it's chopped up and molded into a shape as opposed to a whole muscle, which um, is, you know, it does it taste it, good. It's not what we. Well, so listen, have you ever had anything that was salty, breaded and fried? Yeah, it's not going to be bad. I, <laughs> <All the time. laughs> so. Um, it tastes, you know, it tastes good. Um, I had it, they made it for me, a, a chef made it for me in a restaurant. So like, you know, it's not something that I, I made at home. Um, it was, it was crunchy and, and, you know, oily and, and it was like bar food. Um, did it taste like chicken? Well, I, you know, being the reporter that I am, I had to sit there and t- peel the breading away and, and try the, you know, quote unquote meat of it. And, it was, it was okay. It, it, it had like sort of like a, a slightly chalky texture, but it but it was salty too. So it wasn't like all the flavor was in the breading. Um, there was flavor in there too. Um, but you know, the, I tried their uh, KFC uh, chicken nugget uh, right before um, the pandemic. Actually, it was uh, January 2020. So, and that was uh, their second nugget with KFC, and it was a whole muscle, hmm. and it was really impressive because it had that. Um, like fibrous kind of texture that you would get from a from a chicken breast. So that's what I was expecting um, ah. from this, but it wasn't that. It was a it was a ground product, which the company insists is not a step back for them, though it is a lot more technologically difficult to make that whole muscle product. They said that this is a better way to reach the mass. So so they no longer offer that whole muscle product, right? Yeah, no, that was just a short-term okay. product with KFC. Hey, bef- yeah, so. very briefly, I don't want to get to the subway story, but very briefly, how important is this to Beyond's business? Because chicken is the most popular protein in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it would be important because they have, uh, you know, they have the beef, obviously, and the sausage. And um, chicken is a much bigger opportunity just in terms of how much people eat of it. Um, it's also, you know, it's tougher because there's a lot more competition in the plant-based chicken market than there was in the plant-based beef market when they entered or plant-based sausage. And chicken also comes with, it's a different, it's a different mindset when somebody decides to sub in their chicken with a plant-based option because people often make that decision for health reasons. And chicken, chicken doesn't have that same unhealthy, um, vibe that a a burger does Um, and I have to say these tenders aren't really any healthier than a standard chicken tender so 
that makes it a little bit of a tougher sell too. Yeah, no, that's one of the big discussions we often have around this table uh, is just, is it healthier? Um, Hey, just quickly, got about 45 seconds left here. Subway, eat, fresh, refresh. What are they doing? They say they are upgrading their ingredients. They are slicing their deli ham and their turkey thinner. They are offering new bread. Um, The sandwiches, I think notably will not be getting any bigger. So you will still be getting about the same amount of meat on those sandwiches. Um, You can finally order delivery through the app, which um, is sort of hard to believe that you couldn't do until now um, through this whole pandemic. Um, And they are also offering ingredients like avocado and fresh mozzarella. So um, that's, you know, something. (laughs) Kind of perfect music. <laughs> it's like nice job. it's like catch it up here, Subway, <laughs> with the sign of the times. Uh, Dina, that was so much fun. Uh, thank you, thank you. Be careful in that storm. Dina Shanker, consumer reporter at Bloomberg News, on the phone from New York City. I'm hungry. I am. Well, you can go get Subway's new sandwich. It's the Turkey Cali Fresh Sub. <laughs> avocado. Yeah, there's avocado on it. Um, uh, love me some avocado. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive home. Excuse me, I wanna drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That punk the music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. Just about ten and a half minutes left in today's trading session. It is time for the drive to the close. Michael Rosen, CIO at Angelus Wealth Management. It's a multi-asset investment firm, registered investment advisor. He's joining us on the phone in Santa Monica, California. Is it sunny there today, Michael? Oh, you don't want to know. It's- 75 and sunny here. Look, as a Californian, Carol, I can tell you in the afternoons, you know, in Southern California, it's always sunny. Well, it's not. It's kind of dark here. As a matter of fact, uh, I think it's pouring maybe out. Uh, It's pretty lousy. The markets, though, you know, I think we got a little bit of everything today. Uh, Some negativity certainly early on. We've bounced off that lows, but I'm watching, and here we are with 10 minutes to go, and it looks like we're taking another leg down. What do you think is the psyche of most investors right now, and what do you think explains the trade today? Well, let's remember that you know, markets hit an all-time high yesterday, so I think mm-hmm. it's a you know, little premature to you know, call the uh, uh, beginning of a major bear market at, at, at this point. But I think if you look back a, a little bit longer uh, over the last couple of weeks or last couple of months, uh, the, the market's actually been really quite clear in sending a very consistent signal about concerns around future growth. Uh, we're, uh, previous worries that inflation would be spiking out of control have really come come back. We're seeing bond yields that have you know, dropped uh, 45 basis points or so in the last uh, couple of months, uh, and a rotation in the equity markets uh, f- uh, where uh, small cap stocks are now underperforming large cap value stocks, underperforming growth stocks. Uh, the dollar is a little bit stronger. All uh, a very consistent message of anticipating a little bit weaker economic growth, uh, less inflation uh, pressures, and we're seeing that uh, rotation in the in the markets really across across asset classes. What is the one thing that changed, or several things that changed after yesterday's close, which was a record, uh, and what happened this morning? 
Yeah, I think it's it's really, as I said, it's it's a, been a bit of a continuation of a recognition that the the previous concerns of of ever higher inflation were just simply not warranted, uh, and the markets were 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 mispricing higher inflation. Uh, there's an argument the markets are now maybe mispricing too low inflation going forward. Ten-year inflation assumptions are now at about two and a quarter percent, so it's really come down quite uh, quite substantially. Uh, but you know, concerns around again the the opening of economies uh, around the world as the Delta variant uh, seems to be spreading, uh, uh, some slower economic growth, and maybe a recognition, although we've we've sort of known this that the the, the rate of economic growth the, and the rate of inflation probably peaked last quarter. And it's on. Both are kind of on their way, the way down now. So, I think you know today is a, to me, sort of just consistent message that we've we've had from the markets over the last couple of weeks and couple of months. Yeah, our Gina Martin Adams, who's so smart, Bloomberg Intelligence has followed the markets for a long time, and she talks about you know the market is priced to an existing reality as we know it now. Like we know where what's happening. We know earnings are going to bounce off because or bounce up because everything fell off a cliff because of the pandemic, and so much of that is already priced in. The question now is, what's next? What's going to be the real pace of recovery on the other side of this? What happens to inflation, right? And what happens to Fed policy? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great question. And, and you know, the, the, really the question that we're, we're all looking for, I think the, the, the next couple of months, we're still going to see a lot of noise in the data because we're still mm-hmm. looking at a 12-month period going back to the, the mist of the economic shutdown that we had last year. So I think the data will continue to be a little bit noisy. We do know that in the inflation numbers that uh, that much of the, the increase in inflation, and inflation you know, was running at, at you know, 5% year over year just uh, a month ago, uh, a lot of that pressure is due to supply constraints, uh, which really is pandemic-related. So uh, semiconductor chips, uh, we, we know... Uh, are, 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 are in short supply, it's affecting auto prices. We know that a lot of the travel agencies, uh, uh, the uh, car rentals and mm-hmm. airlines, shut down a lot of their capacity, uh, and now there's, there's been a surge in demand. Uh, they haven't been able to meet that, so prices uh, are up. We know that that will abate uh, over, over time. Uh, so a lot of the, 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 the pressures, you know, are coming down. Um, look at lumber, another good example. Uh, you know, lumber doubled in the first couple of months of this year and is down 50% from its high back in early May. So, uh, and again, due to supply constraints in, in lumber mills uh, was what drove the prices up, and now they're coming back down again. So a lot of this we know are due to temporary factors and inflation coming back down. The the the. The longer-term question for investors, again, we won't really see this over the next couple of months, but as we look out over the next couple of years is, you know, what will Fed policy be with respect to any inflation pressures that we do see? Uh, the Fed wants higher inflation. My sense is they probably will, will get it. And so it, it's, it's at the moment, the, there's a lot of noise in the, in the data. Uh, a lot of that will, will go away over the next couple of months and will sort of settle into a maybe a clearer pattern. Okay, so that's the, that's the, your outlook, and I'm wondering how it manifests itself in, in portfolio recommendations that you have uh, for your clients right now. How are you thinking about asset allocation, stocks and bonds? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. So um, if, if you, you think about the, the, the winners in an environment of very sluggish economic growth and, and, uh, and very low or, or no inflation, 
Those are long-duration assets, so growth equities, long-term government bonds, uh, the big winners in that kind of environment, the environment that we saw for most of the, the previous decade. In an environment where growth perhaps could be a little bit stronger, inflation pressures a little bit higher, you want a short, shorter duration asset. So that means you know, bring the duration down in, in fixed income, uh, favoring uh, credit over, over government uh, bonds, uh, and uh, looking more at, at value companies, value stocks relative to just the long duration growth stocks. And in terms of fixed income, what would be your play here? Well, we're really overweight high yield uh, oh, okay. really, and, 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 and all structured credit, really, uh, to capture that yield. We, we've had a view that the default cycle peaked last year uh, and, in fact, has been coming down. Uh, there's been tremendous fiscal and monetary support. It's been very, very accommodative. And I don't see an increase in the default cycle anytime soon, which means uh, we can clip the higher yields, even though they're at record lows. There's still much higher yields in, uh, in credit and structured credit than uh, that we can get in government bonds, which really, to me, make no sense at all for, mm. for long-term investors. Real yields, that is the, the yield after inflation, are negative in government bonds. And so right. it's uh, a, a guarantee to, to, to lose purchasing power over time. They don't make any sense as a long-term investment. All right, we're going to leave it there. Hey, Michael, good to get some time with you. Michael Rosen, he's co-founder and chief investment officer at Angeles Wealth Management, joining us on the phone from Santa Monica, California. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. And you can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News.